Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spinning Back Click, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On this week's docket, well, I'm pretty sure you guys know what we're talking about this week. Hashtag Fury Wilder and some other MMA news, of course. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Gorgeous George, and with me, as always, some of the sharpest MMA minds in the biz. Joining me this week goes, oh, excuse me, it's Ted Lasso, who occasionally, I guess, co-hosts MMA Junkie Radio with me. Available on all podcast platforms. He's also the creator of SVC. He's in Las Vegas. Danny Segura joins us this week. He's down in Miami. He was down earlier, too. Uh, yeah. And if, <laughs> if any of you guys know anybody that speaks Spanish, tell them about Ablemos MMA on YouTube. That's his. That's his spot. And finally, the MMA media titan joins us this week after his two-week run in the Middle East covering UFC 294 and Fury versus Nganu. He's in Toronto. Impressive work, Mike, this past two weeks. Cold coffee's on the ones and twos. Let's get started. Tyson Fury defeated Francis Ngannou this past weekend in the Battle of the Baddest. This was a 10-round boxing match that went the distance with Fury edging Ngannou via split decision. What did you think about Ngannou's performance, fellas? This was his professional boxing debut. And Mike, since you were down there live, you get the first take. Yeah, how could you be anything other than blown away by Francis, right? Like, I don't think anyone really predicted the fight to go down like that for him to be as competitive as he was to him show, uh, showing those type of like boxing fundamentals, pacing himself well. Uh, it was really impressive from beginning to end, man. I don't know how you can have anything other than glowing reviews. We'll obviously get into the scoring of the fight and the result and things like that, but just compared to expectations and what he executed out there, just brilliant stuff all around. Uh, that was just really, really great performance from Francis Ngannou. And, you know, the scuttlebutt from on the ground from people at home, observers at the beginning, they're calling this a gimmick fight, calling this not competitive fight, a money grab, all that stuff. No, Francis Ngannou was not lying when he told us, you know, he felt he had already won by just securing this, but he's here looking for a second win, another win, and he arguably got that in a lot of people's opinions. Uh, two of the three judges didn't agree, but uh, from all optics, all those type of things, this was a great night for Francis Ngannou, a perfect account for himself, and he should be very, very proud. And Mike, again, you being there, you saw a lot of people's reaction. They're on MMA Junkie. Excellent work catching up with a lot of people. But did you ever kind of glance around and just see like were people kind of shocked that the way the fight was playing out i imagine a lot of people thought this thing could end in a round or two. Oh, absolutely i mean i was actually i mean seated right next to one of the pr guys from queensbury and then right in front of me was roberto duran uh sitting there at ringside so like as the fight is playing out people are looking around being like wow this is actually more competitive like 
is Francis Ngannou winning? Oh, he's up now. And then obviously he knocks him down and that changes the whole game. Everyone is, you know, shocked by that moment. And there, I was sitting right in front of the uh, TNT sports commentary booth as well. And you could hear them just being like, you know, Tyson Fury has to do something. Like he needs to make things happen. And the desperation in his voice is getting more and more eager uh, as the fight goes on, making it seem like, wow, Francis Ngannou might be, in the process of pulling off one of the greatest upsets in not maybe just boxing, but combat sports history. So yeah, like the, it was crescendoing as each and every round went on and we saw him just delivering that performance. And at the end, I think there was a lot of anticipation about that decision. You hear the split decision and you felt like, damn, maybe Francis is actually going to get this. And then, you know, boxing going to boxing with the outcome. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right. How about you, Goes? What did you think of the performance, man? Like, it, you know, take us through it as the thing unfolded round by round. Well, I mean, I think aside from not having the W next to his name, everything went his way the entire weekend. Uh, and you want to know the sweetest part was he beat the boxer. I mean, he didn't win the fight, but he beat him with boxing and a little bit of MMA. Because if you watch it over, there was a lot of confusion on Tyson Fury's face. And it was because of the angles that... Francis Ngannou was thrown from the stances, the way he would switch it. It was it was kind of confusing. You're not used to punches coming at you from those angles. And Ngannou just kept doing that over and over. He would switch things up. He made adjustments in the fight, which is unbelievable because you know he hasn't done this very much to be able to do that in a boxing match. Let against anyone, let alone Tyson Fury, is pretty damn amazing. And when he landed that left hook, man, over the top, boom, barbecue sauce. That was beautiful. And I think we all jumped up out of our chairs at that moment because we knew we were potentially seeing something pretty amazing going down. Even if, if in the next round Tyson Fury came out and stopped them, it still would have been a pretty amazing performance and night for Francis Ngannou because of what he was able to accomplish out there. You have to remember, Tyson Fury was supposed to come into this fight and absolutely mop the floor with this guy. That was the only acceptable outcome for boxing, right? You have your best guy against a guy who hasn't done the sport, you have to get the stoppage out there. And he wasn't able to do that. It actually went down to a split decision. This is very remarkable. I mean, think about it, guys. If Tyson Fury went to MMA, are you telling me he'd go five rounds and even Hell get no. possibly a, a split decision? That ain't happening. If he got out of the first round, I think our jaws would drop, right? Francis Ngannou, he went out there and he accomplished something that I don't know a lot of fighters can ever do, will ever do. It's absolutely amazing. And I think he did it for one reason. Right there, baby. Believe. Back to you, Doctor Who. <laughs> All right. How about you, Danny, man? What did you think of all this? I love all the differing viewpoints uh, of this. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Tyson versus Buster Douglas in the late 80s, I believe. Same thing, just that feeling of like, can you believe what's happening right now? Except it wasn't two professional boxers. It was a guy debuting as a professional boxer versus the the lineal champion in the heavyweight division currently. But what were your thoughts, Armando? Insanity. I mean, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was, yeah, it was just insane. It was just wild stuff from Francis Ngannou because we thought, okay, maybe he has a tiny chance. Some people would say that, but if he goes out there and just completely unloads everything in the first three rounds and empty out, empties out his gas tank and just tries to go for the finish. But this was Francis Ngannou almost outboxing Tyson Fury in a very, very competitive fight. 
and I've said this, the, the scorecards can say one thing, and I, I'll put my minds out there. Uh, I scored the fight for Tyson Fury, but the streets say another thing, and that's that Francis Ngannou is the champ. Because, you know, technically Fury did win a lot of the rounds, but by barely getting by. But the majority of the work was done by Francis Ngannou, right? We can say that Francis Ngannou not only went to distance with Tyson Fury, but got the only knockdown of the fight and did the only like physical damage of the fight. So really just uh, props to Francis Ngannou. It truly is a remarkable story from where he started to where he is now. It's just incredible. If you were to do a script literally a biography of his life, you would think it's just a, a Hollywood script. Like this couldn't possibly be true, but it is. And he just keeps defying the laws over and over again, defying the odds. So just uh, credit to Francis Ngannou and the team because they're truly doing remarkable stuff. And uh, it's just impressive. I mean, there's there's not much else to say. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back to Mike for just a second, but because just watching Cold Coffee's B-roll, taking me through the highlights, it's giving me goosebumps again. It was pretty cool, man. This thing closed strong. I remember when it was first announced, I was like, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, we got closer, and you could just tell that Saudi Arabia invested heavily in this thing, man. These epic pictures that were coming of legendary boxers with, you know, iconic entertainment figures. Uh, you know, out there and then seeing the production pre-fight, it was all really, really amazing. So I want to go back to Mike so he could kind of tell us what he experienced, just seeing maybe those weigh-ins. What was that like, Mike? And also, folks, quick like and subscribe. We would really like it. It's what kind of helps the channel blow up and every episode of Spinning Back Click blow up. So I'm asking personally if you can do that right now while Mike takes us through his week and I'll get to some of these comments that are coming through in the comment section. Some of these questions, the better ones get priority go ahead mike what what was that like man can't hear you buddy sorry uh riyadh itself you know maybe isn't a city that's like you know the the greatest tourist destination in terms of like you know attractions and things to do but like once you got into the actual fight week stuff they spared no expense it was spectacular from beginning to end uh the setups for like the weigh-in stages the press conference uh the venue they were all remarkably well done and yeah you, you can't say anything short of that it was a, a spectacle it was a great show it's you know something that differs from boxing to like a ufc or mma's biggest events right like the biggest boxing events historically have always felt bigger than the biggest mma events um, and that's honestly what we got. I mean, people saw who was all there. Uh, you know, they were obviously paid to be brought out, but they agreed to go and it made the show feel that much bigger. So, yeah, like you can't really say anything negative. It's an event I'll never really forget covering um, just from all the people that were there and just the way it went down. It's, it's just very different from like a, a UFC fight week, right, which are very similar in terms of. Uh, how it's set up. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing because you go into one of those events as a reporter and you know exactly what you're going to get. You know who's going to be there. Uh, you have, you know, very leveled expectations and they deliver on that. Whereas this, it's chaos. You don't know if you're going to be able to get an interview with this person or that person. And you ended up you know, getting some great stuff over there. It was pretty cool, honestly, how it all unfolded. So uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed being over there. I enjoyed covering it. And it was definitely a special showcase on how they did it. And, you know, it was capped off by a fight that was spectacular as well, right? Like if 
Tyson Fury went out there and starched Francis Ngannou in the first round like a lot of people thought he was going to. Uh, I think it was maybe going to feel a little bit disappointing and that you weren't going to get your your money's worth and all that stuff. I know there was frustration from people watching at home. It was like almost two hours from the time the co-main event ended to the main event starting. Um, you know, I guess thankfully for you guys, it was in late afternoon, early evening, uh, stateside time. So uh, at least you didn't have to sit through that at like two, three in the morning, which would have been a little more difficult to digest, I think. But yeah, it was it was incredible from beginning to end. And the fight was the perfect capstone to it, because if it was a bad fight or an underwhelming or an extremely one sided fight, it would have been, uh, I think, a different talking point after the fact. One last one to you, Mike, was did you ever get that vibe from either the boxing community or being around the Fury camp that this was a layup for them? Yeah, I think so. I think that was the general consensus coming in. I mean, Tyson Fury did say the right things. I talked to him at the grand arrivals on Tuesday. He said, this is, you know, this is a 50-50 fight. Whoever lands first and best is going to go down. To me in that moment, it just felt like he was doing his best to promote the fight because everyone just felt it was so lopsided. He wanted to do what I've said on this program so many times is the right way to build up a fight. And that's by building up your opponent. If he went in there and I know he did say a few times, there's that clip that's circulating today where he was like, I could drink 25 beers and still beat Francis and Ganu easily. Um, But he wasn't giving that tone as much throughout fight week. Uh, The people who were saying more of that stuff was like John Fury at the press conference being like, just admit you're just happy to be here, man. Like you're going to try your best, but don't, don't kid yourself about what the outcome is going to be. But Tyson, I think handled it well. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think no matter what was said, we all still thought it was going to be a one-sided performance for Tyson Fury. Maybe Francis would have a moment or two, but you didn't think it was going to go down to the wire. It was going to be an actual boxing match where they were going to go back and forth, having to use their best boxing skills uh, over the course of 10 rounds. So I think that was the biggest swerve for everyone watching compared to their expectations coming in. Love it. All right, great stuff. Some comments that have come in. Jason Donovan May says, Francis got the gift of King Solomon. Great knockout, King. Me Diamond corrected me. He caught that. I did say Fury Wilder. Sorry. For, of course, it was Fury and Ganu. Uh, hello to Diznuff in the chat. You can come through Facebook, by the way, or through YouTube. Here's one from Facebook from Cameroon. A shout out to Mufonji Hillary. Hello. Thank you for tuning in. Joseph Boza says a lot of people were ex- are thinking and slash expecting Tyson to win in two rounds at the most. But Francis got a big W forcing Tyson to the cards. A lot of the MMA fighters were screaming robbery. Bruce Chambada from Zambia, Central Province. It looks like hello to you as well. Dijunt, keeping it real. He says, Fury won. It's already done. Get over it. Ooh, take it easy, brother. It's been like 36 hours. Calm down, man. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on, though, and I'll see if I can get to some more of those. Great to have an international audience. And again, sorry to bug you for this. The like. Hit that like button, man. Let's get it going. All right. Topic number two, after such an impressive debut in boxing, and even though Nganu has committed to fight MMA for the Professional Fighters League in 2024, what sport should the Predator commit to more going forward? Goes, we go to you. You know, I think when this all started, we were given the impression that Tyson Fury was was giving MMA a gift, giving Francis Nganu a gift of letting him have this fight. And I think... The tides have changed since then, you know? Uh, could Francis box again and make money? Absolutely. Yes, he could. But the chances are he's probably going to get a decent name, right? And who knows if it goes his way? It's probably 
probably won't, right? So now that makes him an 0-2 boxer. And I think that mystique kind of goes away. If I'm Francis Ngannou, I think it's MMA. I mean, I think he has to con- contractually. He has to. But I, I think there's a part of him that wants to. Go back to MMA. Bury a couple people in the PFL and build that legend up. Because as you're doing that, I promise you, whatever the next step is for Tyson Fury, Usek, at the end of that fight, regardless of, of, of what happens, the, the name Francis Ngannou is going to get brought up a lot. He's going to hear that name over and over and over. It's going to haunt that man going forward. And people are going to keep asking him about him. And it's going to get on his nerves. And meanwhile, Francis is going to be mopping people up in the PFL. It's going to build that fight even more. And what Francis can do over there, he can do it in a year. You know, he can get two fights in. That's all you need, something like that. Build that fight up even more. Remember at the end of Rocky, the original Rocky? Apollo Creed didn't say, all right, where's that number one contender? He didn't say that. He said, I want to fight Rocky again because it was kind of burning at him, right? I think this is going to burn in Tyson Fury's mind, and I think it's going to keep getting worse and worse. Francis Ngannou's pockets will be the beneficiary of that. He will make more money if this fight builds up a little bit more. And MMA, guys, I'm sorry. He's coming your way, and he looked phenomenal in boxing, and he's just as mean in uh, in mixed martial arts. So, Man, just thinking of that should make every heavyweight in the PFL as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. <laughs> Good one, Lasso. I like it. All right. Uh, Danny, how about you, man? I ask you the same question. You know, he's got his commitments to PFL, but he looks so damn good, man. In which direction would you push the Predator towards uh, going forward? More Like more of his future combat sports, in which direction would you push him? Yeah. Well, I love mixed martial arts over boxing. I, I much prefer it. So I would want to see Francis Ngannou just do MMA and maybe dabble in boxing again. But that's probably not going to be the reality. Uh, the reality is going to be quite the opposite. He's going to try to put all his eggs in the boxing basket and then dabble a little bit in MMA. It's just there's just so much more to gain for him in, in the world of boxing. Um, it seems just like paydays are, are way bigger uh, there are way bigger fights. I know that uh, Francis Ngannou is a big name, but he also, this fight was big because of Tyson Fury as well. He needs that other side of the equation. And, and PFL, I'm sure the PFL winner of of uh, this year could be an enticing fight. You know, I think, for example, Hennem Ferreira would be a, a, a spectacular fight. But I don't know if that's going to be quite big, right? And I don't know what other free agents are out there in order to make a, a fight as big as the one with Tyson Fury. Now, in the world of boxing, he's got, you know, Andy Ruiz, he's got Wilder, he's got Anthony Joshua, he's got Fury again, maybe even Yusek, who knows? And he just proved to be very competitive, and you can make a case that he beat Tyson Fury. So why couldn't he box any other any other guy, right? So it just seems that boxing has the bigger fights for him, the fights with the most money, the fights with the, the bigger legacy. And, and something that I tweeted on Fight Night was that, Francis Ngannou is the champion of prize fighting. He might no longer be the champion of the UFC, former champion, but he's the champion of prize fighting. If there's a guy that you can label as a prize fighter, that is Francis Ngannou. He doubled down, he bet on himself, and he's fighting for the biggest prices possible while risking it all, right? Uh, We see a lot of guys that may not want to go to the lengths that Francis Ngannou had to go through uh, dealing with the UFC in order to secure this bag. So, um, I think it's going to be a little bit of MMA and mostly boxing moving forward. It just makes sense for his body, 
for his pockets, for his legacy. Um, tough to see him stick around in, in MMA, to be honest, after this. Did I not tell you guys we have a crew today, man? They are bringing it. The champion of prize fighting. I like it. Mike Bond with the uh, behind the scenes recap goes with the Rocky pull. Uh, it actually made sense, even though it was a fictional movie. But yeah, you're right. He, Apollo wanted to run it back. And by the way, uh, blessings to the family of Polly Burt Young from that movie who passed away this past week. Let's go back to the chats real quick. Joseph Perlman says, if you go to the Mike Tyson YouTube page, he released some footage once the fight was over. Shows what a great coach uh, he is and how hard Francis worked. Duh, Yo, let here. me interrupt here. Yo, shouts out to Dewey Cooper, man. He, he Eric Nixick will say, I know you guys had Eric Nixick on, and and, uh, and I love Eric and much respect him, and I know he he had uh, some contribution in this, but uh, he'll say it. Like, you know, Dewey Cooper was the one that did most of the legwork, and I love Mike Tyson as well. Uh, he did a great job at hyping up Francis Ngannou, bringing him confidence, supporting him, but uh, it just seems that Dewey Cooper should be getting all the flowers here because he's the one that did most of the work for this fight. For sure. Yeah. And I'm glad Eric said it and I'm glad you brought it up, Danny. Good call there. Joseph Boza says in the boxing world, this was a big gamble for Tyson to take this fight because December 23rd, Tyson's supposed to defend against Usyk. How bad would it have looked in the boxing world if Francis had won? Uh, I don't know, Mike. What do you think about that, uh, about Joseph Boza's comment? Well, it seems like that's not happening. I mean, I think there's some quotes going around from Frank Warren now and Tyson Fury himself, who's done a little bit of media now saying, you know, hope, hope you guys have a good Christmas. See you in the new year. Uh, it would be mm -hmm. foolish, I think, for Tyson Fury to fight Usyk on the 23rd. Uh, and it seems like it's pretty much 0% chance of happening at this point. I know that's going to frustrate Usyk a lot, but uh, that seems to be the case at the moment. And if it's true that... Tyson Fury did put his longest camp of his career 12 weeks into this fight preparing. And then the damage he took, the knockdown, uh, it does not seem like a good idea to jump right back into a camp and fight Usyk is, you know, arguably the best out there right now in a stern challenge for Tyson Fury. I think it would be a deteriorated version of that fight if we got it on December 23rd. It's a little bit like the conversation, you know, that was being had last week about Alexander Volkanovsky, right? And him wanting to fight uh, Ilya Tapuria in January after being knocked out. So uh, yeah, I'm not in favor of these quick turnarounds, especially when there's just so much on the line for these guys. It, it doesn't make sense for him. I know that U6 is going to be really upset with that, but it is what it is at this point. Tyson Fury uh, should not be showing up in a few months here. Agreed. Yeah, he needs to rest and get sharp again because that layoff hurt him too. Joseph Perlman in the comments says, maybe Fury outpointed him, but Francis' stock should go way up. All right, keep on coming, commenters. Uh, I will get to more of these. I know I've been bad about it in the past, but I'm going to try and smash some of these, so keep bringing them. All right, the third topic. Does the UFC wind up looking like a big loser in this whole thing? They let Francis walk. Then he went to the competitor, PFL. Then this weekend, he gets in the squared uh, circle and probably scored a huge payday. Looked good there, too. If that's not enough, UFC 295 took a hit when UFC heavyweight champion John Jones suffered an injury and had to pull out of his fight versus Stephen Miocic, uh, which, by the way, it would have been a great night for the UFC to boast having the baddest man on the planet a few weeks later. You know, it's always nice to get that to, to, to get the last call when it comes to that type of promotion. All right, Danny, I'll ask again because I know I was chopping away there. Does the UFC kind of wind up looking like the big loser in this whole thing? Go ahead, Dan. 
Yes and no. It depends on what perspective and and how far in the timeline you want to go, right? I think on a short-term basis, yes, they lost big time because clearly Francis Ngannou is a valuable asset. I mean, you just plug him in the UFC's heavyweight division and you could have had that fight with Jones. That would have been spectacular. You could have had a trilogy with Stipe. You could have had him against Sergey Pavlovich. I mean, that, that fight itself is amazing. Tom Aspinall, I mean, you just plug in Francis Ngannou back in the UFC's heavyweight division and you got a fun time, man. You got one of the best divisions out there and just a key ingredient in making things exciting as well. Especially now that John Jones is injured. Look, they need big players and Francis Ngannou is clearly one of them. Also, short term, they could have co-promoted this fight with Tyson Fury just as they did with McGregor. And they would have made that. this whole event even bigger than what it was. And I'm sure they could have pocketed a lot of money just as they did with McGregor because this event was huge. So, again, another L for the UFC. However, if you want to look at it long term, I think maybe they're, they're not losers in this sense. Because if you give a pass to Francis Ngannou, and I know you can say, well, they've given a pass before they give it to McGregor. But McGregor, it's, it's in his own league. I think he's an exception to all the rules. But if you give it to Ngannou, what stops them from not giving it to somebody like Sean O'Malley, who's asking for a Javonta Davis fight, or maybe even Alex Pereira, who can clearly box, or or any other, well, Alex Pereira, not champion anymore, but any other champion that just wishes to cross over to the boxing world, which, you know, credit to, like, to give some credit to the UFC, like, that's not something you want to do, even, not even from a point from not giving these guys a payday in the boxing world, but it just disrupts the division, just having your champion be competing against uh, somebody from another sport, and it just makes a, a, a plethora of issues. So I understand the UFC's uh, reasoning to not want these uh, crossover fights. So I think on the long term, they didn't open the Pandora box, which that's what they wanted to do. And they kind of set a precedent like, look, McGregor's the one that does it, nobody else. And I think on the long term, this was probably a good idea. But yes, in the short term, if you want to focus on what's happening now, they're clearly uh, uh, losing a lot on the short term. Yeah. All right. How about you, Mike? What do you think, man? Does the loser wind up, sorry, does the UFC wind up looking like the big loser in this whole thing? Uh, it feels like it to a degree. Um, yeah, I agree with a lot of what Danny said there. I mean, the McGregor thing was a bit of an anomaly too, right? Like even though you point to that as the exception, he, that was like at a time where the UFC was trying to elevate its evaluation for the sale back in 2016 and all that stuff. And they're trying to do things to kind of like boost up the brand in that regard. If that happened today, I don't know if they would have let McGregor do that uh, given kind of the UFC's stature at this point. So yeah, I don't know if they'd really want anyone doing this it's very clear that the UFC is willing to, you know, cut off its nose to spite its face in a lot of situations just to keep the brand bigger than any one fighter. And that's what they did here. And, you know, we could go into all the quotes Dana White said around the time that Francis Ngannou officially parted ways after completing his contract and they look ridiculous and silly in hindsight and all that stuff. Uh, you know, calling this a gimmick fight saying Francis wanted easier fights. He's not willing to put, you know, risk, risk himself for a fight against John Jones, all that stuff looks goofy, but it only looks goofy because Francis performed the way that he did. And how many people out there, you know, 1% or less maybe figured he was actually going to perform like that. So if I'm trying to put myself in the UFC shoes and 
the way they practice business and all that stuff. I understand why they've done what they've all done, but now, you know, hindsight's obviously what it is and it looks completely different now. And if they had had Francis go in there as the UFC heavyweight champion and perform like he did against Tyson Fury, that would give them so much credibility. Dana White would be at the next press conference saying, you know, all these things, look at, you know, how great MMA fighters are. They can go over and hang with the absolute best in the world, the best heavyweight, arguably of the last 30 years in Tyson Fury. Francis should have beaten him, uh, you know, robbery, corrupt judging, all that stuff. Uh, there would have been a million different notes to bang on, but now they can't do anything and uh, they kind of have to ignore this whole thing. It's going to be interesting to hear what Dana eventually says when he is you know, asked about this at his next press conference or media availability, whenever it may be. It's going to be interesting but uh, to see how he spins it, but for what it is now, um, yeah, this does seem like a huge elevation to the uh, stock of Francis Ngannou and the UFC could have had its brand attached to that. And instead it's just Francis's stock rising up to an incredible degree. And he is one of the faces of combat sports as a whole right now, in my opinion. I agree, fellas, huge L for the UFC this past weekend. I mean, right up there with women will never be in the UFC. See how many years did that cost them? Let's get away with the 55 division back in the early two thousands. And that's arguably their most popular division ever led by Conor McGregor. So there's been a lot of them, and he, 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 I think he's going to have to accept this one, maybe even not signing Fedor. Who knows? I don't want to rewrite history. But uh, all right, Ted Lasso, let me repeat the question. Does the UFC wind up looking like the big loser in this whole thing? What say you, Mr. Magoo? Uh, look, I, I think Saturday night was very troubling for them on, on many different fronts. Uh, in MMA, they're always going to be the top dog, but I, I think they were kicking themselves a little bit watching what was going on. Francis Ngannou showed everyone that, you know, you don't have to eat every word the UFC puts on the table, right? There is something to controlling your own destiny, controlling your career. Um, but can every fighter do this? Probably not. You know, he might be one of the anomalies. Now, uh, you could see a guy like Conor McGregor, right, made a fortune. He went out there, boxed, made a lot of money. Even Nate Diaz kind of walked away, made some money uh, fighting Jake Paul. And now you got Francis doing it. I think that could be a little troubling for the UFC. I'm sure they didn't like that. But at the end of the day, they are still the UFC. They're still going to make a lot of money. I think what, what makes things a little difficult is, you know, if cooler heads would have prevailed, not so many people would be throwing this in their faces. You know, if they would have said something like, look, we just didn't come to terms with Francis and Ghana. We asked for a lot of things that we just weren't willing to give up um, aside from fighting. But we wish them the best. I don't know that a lot of people would be kind of pooping on them uh, this week. But that's what happens. You know, you get these comments, the fumbling the bag, which I would have fumbled the bag too, if it weighed that much. I don't know Francis and Gunn who cleaned up this weekend, but look, dude, at the end of the day, I mean, one thing that really, really troubled me, and maybe Mike can speak on this a little bit that I think might've affected the egos at the UFC, the celebrities that were there, how big this event was. Um, if something like this were to happen normally, it's supposed to happen in the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, the UFC's backyard, right? It didn't. It happened in Saudi Arabia. And even some of the the, the, the venues, the venue that they have in Abu Dhabi, the amount of celebrities that showed up that talk about it, we're talking about it. Almost the entire show is about this. I think that kind of hurts the ego a little bit. You know, uh, what they did out there was absolutely massive. The ring came out of the ground. I mean, this was a spectacle. <laughs> and if you when you think about it, it's not just mixed martial arts and boxing. 
uh, George, you're a Premier League fan. Like, there are players that are leaving the Premier League, that are leaving Spain to go over to uh, Saudi Arabia and play over there. Like, the amount of money that they're throwing around there, I think we're going to start losing some pretty massive deals out here. And I think that kind of hurts uh, the UFC's ego a little bit. So I think on many different fronts, this one probably stung a little bit. And then Formula One comes to town pretty soon, too. That's going to be a major event. You know, Dana White's been promoting the sphere, but uh, he, he just realized that September 16th is not a bad day to throw fights as well. They need to catch up a little bit, I think, on a few of these things because there's no reason why Las Vegas can't pop like Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Am I wrong, Mike? What do you think? Or are they, like, uh, you know, light years ahead of us? I mean, it's trending in that direction. It seems like the UFC is going there in March. So we will see March 2nd, they announced their first event for uh, Saudi Arabia. So we'll see how this compares, right? Like you hear rumblings on the ground there, how much they could potentially be paying UFC for this deal. They might want Conor McGregor on this card. I don't know if he'll be through USADA. Uh, his six months in time, but they are willing to uh, light bags and bags of money on fire to make this look spectacular. So I have no doubt that when the UFC does have its first show there, maybe it won't be a fight on the level of this in terms of like significance and spectacle, but I assure you they're going to be trying to bring out all the big stars and stuff. And it's, it's happening more and more, right? Like you look at kind of what's happening in boxing right now, which obviously this was a boxing event uh, for a while there, they were doing big events at like Wembley in the UK. And some of those shows are getting taken away uh, to Saudi Arabia because the money is just so drastically different. And uh, I think that's what's holding up some of these heavyweight boxing fights, right? Like there there's other offers, there's other negotiations on the table, but they're just hoping if I sit on my hands for long enough an uh, offer with that Saudi money is going to come through and it's just going to be so different for me. So as long as they are willing to continue spending this type of money, which there is no signs that, you know, your excellence is going to want to stop doing that. He seems heavily invested in not just the sporting world, but the combat sports world more so than anything. I mean, it's crazy over there, guys. Like I get off the plane and you see uh, kids everywhere for like a world kickboxing championship. When I was leaving, there was signage all over the airport for the esports world championship that's coming there in 2024. Like they're determined to make this a hub for uh, just sports as a whole. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. So yeah, I guess uh, I think Kaposa uh, on Twitter had a, a good comment after this that maybe we all might need to bow down to our combat sports overlords over there in Saudi Arabia because this seems like what the, the future is going to be for the next five, 10 years and maybe even beyond. Hmm. All right. I might have to go take a look for myself. I find Vegas hard to believe, man. Steakhouses, casinos, swimming pools, you know, uh, I, I I don't know. There's so much entertainment in Las Vegas, but I was impressed with what I saw. Right, let's go to the comments section. Naika Farrell says, Francis Ngannou did, did not get beaten. Jerome Ray Cordova, Francis, proud of Africa. DeJunte says, Alexander Usage is the best right now in boxing. We'll find out soon. DeJunte looks like that's who Fury fights next. Top Streaker, he says, Fury is mad fat. He did look a little heavy. And Pudgy, uh, I think we yeah, all suspect. He looked a lot better than he did when they did that press conference uh, a few weeks ago in London. Yeah. So, And he did say it was his longest training camp. So I don't know. I don't think there's there's excuses that he didn't take this that seriously from a, a training perspective. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
Gracious Mukomboi says, proud of our African king, hashtag Nganu. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see a lot of these international commenters coming through. All right, let's keep going here. So, guys, this event as a whole, and especially the fight itself, it popped on Saturday. Guys, crossover fights don't appear to be going away. Heck, some of these events have actually delivered in some people's eyes, including yours truly. Seeing that, do you expect more MMA fighters to transition to boxing in the future? Mike, we go back to you. Yeah, I think there this seems to be where it's trending, but it's circumstantial, right? Like, I don't think we're going to be getting this every few months or every year or whatever, uh, because it depends on the fighter, right? Like, it has to be the right fighter at the right time to do this, and that depends on you know, who it may be at that time. And but it should definitely put a seed in everyone's mind about what is possible. Um, you know, not trying to like talk down the UFC in any way. I would say this about any promotion. If you feel you have enough value and your contract is coming to an end, why would you not try to test the waters and see if something is available to you, whether it's signing with another organization for, you know, better pay or treatment or whatever it may be, or if there's a boxing fight that lines up for you pursuing that road, uh, the opportunity is definitely there from the UFC side. They'll obviously do their best to uh, operate in the business practices they do, which is not letting these fighters reach the end of their contracts, signing them to longer deals, extensions before they hit that final fight, especially if they're going into a championship bout or something in that vein. So yeah, Francis, I mean, how this all came about was very unique in the sense that he had his sunset clause in his contract, the fact that he was able to, you know, win that fight against Surreal Gone uh, when he was badly injured and not have his contract extended even further by maybe declining a fight and things like that. So there was a lot of circumstances that made this unique that I think people aren't necessarily going to be able to replicate. But, uh, you know, you talk about a, a Sean O'Malley versus a Gervonta Davis like that. Uh, is going to be tough to bring together unless the UFC wants to co-promote it and something along those lines. Um, this one was, was very rare, so I don't see it happening a ton more uh, unless you're talking about the characters that are already uh, out there, like Francis, like Nate Diaz, who we saw the struggles of what it took for them to get free of the UFC. Those were some of the biggest uh, MMA stories of the past couple of years. So yeah, I don't, I don't see it being like a super common occurrence, but I'm sure there will be more instances of it in the future. All right, Ted Lasso, we go to you. Do you expect more MMA fighters to transition to the squared circle, Urkel? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's going to happen, but look, make no mistake, there's a, a huge difference between uh, seeing like a Nate Diaz go over and fight Jake Paul than there is seeing Francis Ngannou fighting Tyson Fury. That I don't see happening very often, especially at that magnitude where it took place, all of that. I don't expect that, but I do expect some decent names that maybe come over and give it a try. Like you have to remember as long as the paydays are there, why not? And boxing is open to this because boxing is not generating new fans the way they used to. Right. When we were growing up, boxing was King. It's different now with mixed martial arts. They've taken away a large chunk of that audience, especially the younger demographic. As long as the younger demographic keeps watching mixed martial arts, I think it's to boxing's best interest to try and lure some of those people away because as long as mixed martial arts is going to take the majority of the money for themselves and not the fighters, well, the fighters are going to have more reason to want to do this. They're going to want to cross over and do boxing. 
And boxing's hoping that some of these people are going to love what they see and stick around. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'll tell you this much. A, a lot more people probably know who Usyk is that didn't before because of this event. And maybe they fell in love with a little bit of Tyson Fury's antics and would be willing to pony up money to see those two fight. Maybe there will be a little bit of a crossover there. But for the most part, I think uh, it'll happen, but maybe not on this type of level. Like George, we talked to Eric Nixick over the weekend. And one of the first things he said is he texted Sean Strickland and said, you better better get used to boxing, right? Because look at all the money that was involved and everything that was going on. So there could be more, just maybe not to this level. Yeah, and I'm sure Sean Strickland won't miss them grappling practices either. That's what he loves to do is just hunt people down. Girls, let me throw this one at you. Do you think Nate Diaz, and guys, if you want to chip in as well, hey, this is a popular figure in our sport, but do you think Nate Diaz watched this and maybe just thought, Man, I think I might have messed up. Like, because he didn't look to take it as serious as Francis Ngannou. He definitely didn't have a tough task, like, uh, you know, as tough a task as Francis Ngannou. He's 38, Ngannou's 37. But I'm just wondering if he feels like he may have fumbled an opportunity. He wanted to come back to MMA, it looked like. But I'm telling you, you watch this and someone can light a fire under your ass. What do you think, Goes? I think a little bit. I think uh, the way he fought in that fight, he wasn't that far off from winning that fight. I think we've seen a better Nate Diaz before, and I think uh, if he really dialed it down, I think he he could beat Jake Paul. But Jake Paul's young. He's getting better, too. So you never know. But, yeah, I think he could maybe be thinking that. Well, maybe not so much what I'm talking about is the actual win. I'm glad you covered it. But what I mean is he didn't take it as serious. Like, he, he phoned it in, like, promotion, you know, until he got to the fight. And then it was so close, he realized, yeah, holy cow, I could have won. Uh, I could have possibly won this. Whereas Francis seem to be all in, you know, and the dividends that it's paying. Mm -hmm. But the backers behind them did so much, right? Yeah. Even that that trailer was amazing. Everybody that they brought in, the way they made you feel. Just on fight week, I can't remember a fight week that had more impact outside of the ring or cage than this one. It really just made you feel like if you weren't watching this, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Danny? Am I crazy here? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think Nate Diaz is a different case, though, because, like, Nate Diaz, towards the end of his career, especially, like, when that fight with Tony Ferguson, let's let's call it how it is. He didn't look great, and it was against Tony Ferguson. Yeah. Um, they both were like, eh. And Nate Diaz is still obviously a, a big name, but he's not a championship-level fighter at this point in time. For instance, Gano left the UFC as a champion. So I think – Good call. Maybe Nate Diaz sure wasn't taking it as seriously, but even if he was, I don't think he can reach to the heights that Francis Ngannou reached. Francis Ngannou right now is in his prime as far as combat sports career. Um, we had some questions about the injury, about the time off, but like clearly he still is, right? Left as champion and just gave the champion in boxing one of his toughest fights, arguably, arguably beat him. So um, I just think the whole thing with Ngannou shows MMA fighters kind of a blueprint for like high-level MMA fighters, what, what can be done in the boxing world. As uh, Mike said, if the situation and factors are lined up because you do need to hop in at the perfect time and, and make sure certain things are in place for you to do that, not anybody can pull off what Francis Ngannou did. I think it was a very special circumstance. Um, but certainly, I think a lot of fighters that have big names can see what Francis Ngannou is doing and be like, because let's call it how it is. Boxing is way easier to train for than MMA. So they can do an easier sport, at least training-wise, 
and collect bigger bags. Um, so, yeah, the future is interesting. I think if Francis Ngannou would have gotten his ass kicked and would have gotten knocked out in the first, yeah. I think that would have been the nail in the coffin in the whole you know crossover of MMA fighters, box, uh, boxing, legit boxers. I think that would have been dead. The influencer thing would have still been alive, but I think this just gave a new life to that. All right, Mike, you want to weigh in? You have any thoughts on this, or shall I move on? You can move on. I think it's kind of all being said. Okay. All right. All right. So I will do that. Let me get some quick comments in. Uh, new Aze from he says hello from Cameroon. Hello to you, uh, Aze. Maestro Mendy says Francis should switch over to boxing. Yeah, that's kind of what we've been covering here, uh, Maestro. Martin Fa says even Fury believes that Francis won the fight. I think in his belly. His soft belly. I think you uh, are right, Martin. There's a feeling to to that. You know, he had this relieved look when he got that less judges scorecard. Vince Ortiz says people acting like it doesn't matter who gets the win. It's very impactful. We agree. God's will. Heavenly Kingdom says watching from Dubai, UAE. Hello to you. All right, so let's move yeah, on here. Just to follow up on that, I mean, sorry, goes. Um, it is true, right? Like, we're all sitting here talking about the, the moral victory and, you know, he won and all this stuff. Maybe it's an L for boxing, as Daniel Cormier said. But imagine if Francis Ngannou had actually got the win, like the legitimate win, had got his hand raised. Uh, the narrative would be even you know, more uplifting for him on this day. We'd be talking about things in an even crazier manner. So, yeah, it would be. And then you're talking about an immediate rematch because I believe that was in the contract um, that if Ngani wins, there is a rematch cause in that regard. So, yeah, it, it definitely hurts. And Francis tweeted that himself, uh, I believe, yesterday morning saying, you know, these judges are ruining fighters' careers. And we've seen some of that in MMA. We've seen, obviously, now a little bit in boxing. This is a little bit different because it's Francis's, you know, first uh, first fight. But, you know, like, as Dewey Cooper told me ringside after the fight, uh, the WBC president told him he's going to rank Francis in the top 10 at heavyweight oh. now, which is remarkable for just being 0-1. But imagine if he was 1-0, what would you say? Would you have to put him at number one? Where would you put him in there? So... Uh, it would be a different conversation today if he'd actually got what I believe was a rightful victory. Um, it's unfortunate that, you know, in the world of, of boxing that these kind of decisions are, have become normalized in a sense where you feel like one person won and it just goes the other way and you're just like, hey, boxing is going to boxing. But um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate in that sense because I do feel it wasn't a robbery. It was a close fight. It was, you know, a few points here and there. It's not like it was, you know, 7-3 in Ganu or something like that, and it went the other way. But uh, it definitely was really close. And being there five feet away from the ring, it felt like Francis had won. And when he didn't get his hand raised, I think everyone was just like, okay, like I guess we're not surprised when you go to a decision in boxing. And he basically said the same himself. That was his expectation. Okay. Guys, what were you going to say? I'm dying to know from Mike when you were ringside and you asked Mike Tyson what he thought and he asked you, what did you think? And his head came like so aggressively. What was going through your head, dude? That's got to be a crazy moment. I, I, I picked up on that, too. It, it was yeah. a little bit scary. I mean, it was just that whole scene there. Like once the main event ended, you know, all the, the PR people, security, stuff like that. Yeah, we see the footage. Um 
throughout the fight, people are on top of it. But the moment it's over, it just turned into chaos. Reporters are going up to different people. They're pushing and shoving. As you see, like, look how many people are just right there next to the apron. It's almost impossible to move around. And Mike just happened to walk right past me. But yeah, that that look in his eyes was slightly terrifying. Um, but thank you for giving me a comment. And he kind of just echoed what I said there a little bit. You know, I asked him, is it a robbery? He said, it's not a robbery, but we all know what the outcome was. And that's obviously him saying that Francis won the fight, but boxing is going to boxing. I know uh, Mike Tyson has kind of turned into like this um, illuminated, this like combat sports guru at this point, but for a split second when he's like, what do you think? Like we saw a little bit of that nineties Mike uh, back. And I was like, I I, I mean, I'm watching from the screen and I was even like a little bit shook. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine, can imagine what that imagine was. Fury uh, one. I wonder what would have happened there. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, you're lucky. You would have got the one. So there, there's another Canadian reporter that felt his wrath about ten years ago. <laughs> Mike would have took the monkey off that guy's back because that guy mm-hmm. got a cold stare from Mike Tyson when he asked him about some stuff uh, from his past. But yeah, it did look like an aggressive move. Um. Yeah, good good stuff from Mike hustling around. He talked, man. You talked to McMahon and The Undertaker and McGregor yeah. and uh, Tyson. It was crazy, so many guys, figures. Like, seeing all the people that was over there. I mean, just when when I saw Kanye walk in down the red carpet, I was like, okay, now this is just getting like out of hand, ridiculous. I'm sure you know you guys are obviously way bigger soccer fans than I am, but you know you see Rio Ferdinand and Ronaldo and Brazilian Ronaldo and stuff, and oh, yeah. you see some of the other reporters over there who are clearly like you know much more invested in that sport than I am, and they were just marking out big time, you know, trying to get selfies and things like that, which is you know not necessarily how I roll, but uh, I can understand the excitement in that regard. It was it was just crazy everywhere you turned. I thought I saw another soccer player, Carlos Valderrama, lurking around somewhere, but maybe he wasn't in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. He might have been somewhere else. All right, so <laughs> let's uh, let's move on here. This past week, we saw UFC 295's main event get turned upside down. Like I mentioned before, John Jones pulled out. Now we have Sergey Pavlovich versus Tom Aspinall for the interim UFC heavyweight title. Also, quick fight card update. They are now the co-main event. In case you're wondering, Stephen Miocic has stated on his OnlyFans uh, that he was never asked to be a part of the interim title fight. That confirms what Dana White said a few days ago, that he wouldn't even bother to ask Miocic and that he'd preserve the Jones-Miocic fight upon Jones's return. Do you agree with the ha- UFC's handling of all these moving parts? Ted Lasso, we go to you. Uh, I didn't like it too much after hearing Stipe speak. He left me with the impression that he would have at least considered it. You know, I mean, since when does the UFC care about insulting people? That that was just kind of a dumb line. Um, the prob- the big problem for me in all of this is that I feel like the belts just get a little diminished when these things happen. Remember the belts, right? Something that every fighter was supposed to aspire to be a champion. Waiting to fight and, and put this this fight together later when you could have just had Stipe fight for a belt and regain something that he says he's dying to get back um, and do it now rather than wait till later. I, that just doesn't make very much sense to me. I mean, it's happening week after week, right? People are calling out Conor McGregor. Is he the champ? No, but that's where the money's at. And the money is just outweighing the the fight that everybody has within them to become a champion everybody aspires to be a champion now it's not really like that and really the way it should be 
the the money should come with the belt. Your belt should be the most important thing. And when things like this go down, I don't see why we couldn't have done it all together. You know, now we have Aspinall uh, and Sergey, and we're going to knock off a, a quality fighter there. We don't know how long Stipe is going to be around. We don't even know how long John Jones is going to be around. But all this, I think, could have been handled a little better. Agreed. You got you throw out an interim champ. You got to unify, man. That's just the way it works. I understand. There's something special about the light heavyweight goat against the heavyweight goat, but still, I don't know. That that one kind of bothered me a little bit. I get over it, but still, it bothered me. Danny, what do you think? I, I hate this whole situation, but I get it. Like the circumstances are not ideal, so you do what you can with what you got. I think Sergey Pavlovich versus Tom Aspinall is a phenomenal fight, a fight that I've been dying to see. And I think uh, Aspinall is right when he says it's arguably the best fight you can possibly book in the heavyweight division. In terms of action and matchups and styles, it is. There might be some others that are bigger, like Jones versus Stipe. But in terms of action and just prime and, and athleticism and, and all that, um, I think this is the best fight. Like, we're looking at it. But unfortunately, it's coming at under what, like, 11, 12 days uh, notice, right? I know that Pavlovich was supposed to be the backup. So, okay, maybe he was getting a little bit ready and, and Tom Aspinall wasn't. But still, it's not ideal circumstances. You would have had this fight with a nice buildup, nice camp, so we can see the full versions of these guys. But whatever, here we are. And as far as it being for an interim title, um, I think that's fine. But ideally, I would have loved to see Stipe in there. Um, and I don't really understand Dana's comments behind that be disrespectful towards Stipe. John Jones is an interim champion. Remember when he fought OSP? So did you mean to disrespect him when you put an interim title on the line? I, I, I don't get it. Um, I think in this case, um, there should have been an undisputed title, to be honest. It looks like John Jones is going to be out for a while. We saw what happened at light heavyweight. Um Two champions, Jiri Prochaska and Jamal Hill, had to vac vacate their titles from injury. So um, I think you, you you should have just done the undisputed and then have John Jones come back and fight the undisputed. And that, that would have been just fine. Uh, but yes, yeah, Stipe Miocic should have been fighting here. I think I think that made the most sense, especially against Pavlovich since he was already getting ready for the event. But whatever, either or, I don't think this is a terrible alternative. And uh, I'm somewhat fine with it. Dana did go out of his way to say this was an eight-month injury, whereas the other ones would keep him out for a year. But I just think that's just the way he communicates. When it benefits, he benefits, you know, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. But he's often said, you know, um, you don't know what the future holds. And so it's uh, it's shocking to me that he's trying to preserve this fight. You don't know how Jones's recovery is going to go. We'll see. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I guess just tailing off what you just said there, it's not even about Jones's recovery. Just imagine a circumstance where he comes back and they try to book this fight, then like Stipe gets hurt or something, right? Like by then he's going to be 41 years old. Uh, you don't know how he's how he's training, how his body's holding up. That would just throw this whole thing even into more chaos. So yeah, like in a, in a vacuum, it seems like the cleaner thing to do would have been strip Jones, make this an undisputed fight. And then you could still do Stipe and Jones when he's back. Uh, maybe doesn't necessarily need a title attached to it, but I kind of understand all sides of why they went with the situation that they did. Uh, they just got John Jones back from a three-year layoff. Uh, their relationship with him has been pretty sensitive over the years. Uh, maybe they didn't want to rock the boat by stripping him of a UFC title for the second or maybe third time in his career. Uh, I'm not sure which that would be. So yeah, it's, it's tough in that regard. And, um, you know, from Stipe's side, 
he was essentially retired before this fight with John came along anyways. So I understand, you know, he said in that interview on his OnlyFans, I believe it was, that he didn't get the call and he would have liked to be asked, but he didn't say specifically that, yeah, I would have said yes and I would have been down to fight Sergei Pavlovich on less than on like two and a half weeks notice or whatever it was. Uh, and for him, I could fully understand why that would be. He loses to John Jones. It is minimal damage to his legacy and his reputation. He's 40 years old. I don't think the expectation was very high, but if he goes in there and fights Pavlovich and loses to him and gets starched in the first round, like Pavlovich has been doing to all these other guys of late, uh, that is one that I think damages the legacy a little bit more. And then he loses the Jones fight uh, probably forever. And that's probably the end of his career at that point. Uh, and I imagine he would be not be getting the same payday as he would have been for the John Jones fight. So there's a lot of tricky stuff here. Uh, it's just what's going to happen in terms of Jones's timeline. They do Pavlovich versus Aspinall, whoever wins that. Uh, that's a great fight on paper, but they're going to be sitting out for a bit. They might have to defend the interim title against like someone else while they do this fight between John and Stipe, assuming everything goes perfectly according to plan. And there's no guarantee that that fight happens and John Jones doesn't say, I'm out of here, guys. Uh, I got my fight with Stipe and I'm good to retire at this point. I just got over a serious injury. I don't know how much longer I want to do this. So a lot of different angles to this whole thing. I think UFC did it best it could with all the characters involved and uh all that aside i'm very excited for pavlovich and tom aspinall because that's the fight that we all said was probably going to happen anyways if that fight between john and stipe happened next week and they both retired afterward which seemed to be the overarching narrative going into this fight there would be a double retirement bout and then those guys would fight for the vacant title so uh, it's a similar path to what we were probably going to get anyways, just these steps of it are out of order. All right. We got time for one additional. Daniel Cormier recently stated that he would support a Makachev versus McGregor matchup. And he's talking right away, guys. He's So he's saying instead of Oliveira and Gagey, I want to ask you guys, and you got to make it quick on this one. Does DC get a fist bump or is he tripping? Danny? He's tripping hard. I mean, McGregor does not deserve a title fight, and we know exactly how that would play out. Gage or Oliveira, those are the names. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, goes. how about you? Fist bump to DC, or is he tripping? Common sense ain't a flower that grows in everybody's garden. Boy, I got to give Daniel Cormier his yellow card. It's a fight that can eventually happen. It's a red card, goes. You know right it's now. a red card. Red card, you got it. You're out. <laughs> Yeah, and he said this on his uh, DC and RC show. He says, I think Islam should fight Conor McGregor next. You have to listen. It's built in. It's the biggest money fight the UFC can make. I guess we won't argue that. But what do you think, Mike? Is it unanimous? Fist bump or is he tripping? He's he's tripping in a sense. But Daniel Cormier is a teammate and very good friend of Islam Makachev. So he is biased in the sense he's trying to get his boy a huge payday. There's, of course, the rivalry and storyline with Habib and all that there. Um, you know, could this fight happen one day if Islam beats Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, whichever order he fights those guys, Conor McGregor comes back and starches Michael Chandler? Sure, it could potentially happen. But doing this right now is both guys' next fight? Absolutely not. No way. Don't want to see that. Couldn't agree more. Listen, DC, you're one of the all-time greats, all right? Great wrestler, great MMA guy. Gilroy, you're coaching them. You're doing great things over there. 
great teammate, team captain over at AKA, and you're killing it on the pay-per-views. But stop it, all right? Stop it. You're tripping. You don't get a fist bump from me either. If I had a red card, I'd give you two of them. Yeah, you're tripping on that one. And just, and and folks, just one more point on that, uh, too. You know, if if it did happen, you know, in that sense, like we talked to Connor in Saudi Arabia and you can watch that interview on this MMA junkie YouTube channel. He was saying like, you know, if I was coming back to boxing, I would get warm up fights, like almost making it seem like he would like a warm up fight, an easier fight, maybe a couple of them coming back, being active and rebuild himself. You're going to throw him in there against who many consider the number one pound for pound fighter in the entire sport right now. I don't even know if Connor would think that's a good idea. It's lunacy. It just makes no sense. I appreciate his loyalty towards his teammate, but yeah, that came from left left field, man. By the foul line, uh, I don't know, maybe even it was it was foul. All right, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to Spinning Back Click. We do this every Monday, noon Eastern, nine a.m. Pacific. That's the normal start time. We kind of went a little early during the Dana White Contender Series run, but now we're back. It's a normal start start time. And look, one more time, if you can hit the like and subscribe, that would be great. The channel pops. It's got so much content, like Mike said, all that stuff that went down at UFC 294 and then over at uh, Fury and Nganu. It's there, man. Uh, lots of great content. So uh, hit that little bell so you know when we're going live. And don't forget, the UFC's back in action this week. They're in Sao Paulo, Brazil with Almeida and Lewis as their main event. And, of course, we'll have the best coverage uh of the sport like we always do here at mma junkie all right we'll see you all next week take care and go out and be a champion just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh human remains that are left listen to where secrets go to die the disappearance of Derek hennigan from the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.